My first name is Tim. I've never read Animorphs. I'm doing it now. Welcome back to Minds at Yerk. I'm Megan. My name is Alex. And I am Tim. How's it going, boys? Okay. Yeah. I got a new puppy, so that is what I've been doing for the last two days. The puppy is currently asleep in Tim's lap. The puppy is currently asleep in my lap because it wanted to be on the podcast. Very nice. Our very own Animorph. <gasps> it's an athlete. Uh We read a book this week. Uh, number 47. I This book was so bland, I don't even remember the title. The Resistance. The Resistance, the beaver book. <laughs> Can we call it the beaver book from now on? I yes. like that title way better. <laughs> no. <laughs> every, every time the beavers came into play, I pictured the little cartoon beavers from like the second episode of Gravity Falls. <laughs> We're cavorting. We're still beavers. <laughs> Cassie goes to pull one out and it bites her. And there's the the image of Mabel. You can find the gif of it of just like Mabel with a beaver biting her arm, frantically waving it. <laughs> that definitely makes this a much more interesting book. Yeah. Yeah, it does. That's the best part of it. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, I guess let's go ahead and get a recap. Okay. This is absolutely the worst recap I've ever written. Jake has to clean the basement. He finds a relative Civil War journal. His name is Fitzhenry. Fitzhenry's mission is to defend an area from attacks. He is vastly outnumbered when some emancipated slaves want to join. Cassie calls Jake because there is trouble at the Hidden Valley Ranch. Jake immediately heads there and finds a hork warrior has been captured. Immediately. I love that pronunciation. Reminds me of people who insist on calling Commedia dell'arte Commedia dell'arte. <laughs> Jake comes up with a plan to morph beavers, build a dam, and flood the yurks that are probably coming to attack the ranch. The Union soldiers don't want to fight alongside the emancipated slaves for not good reasons. Confederate soldiers attack and Fitzhenry is shot. He is saved by a belt buckle and the help of a former slave named Jacob. Jake tries to clear out some nearby campers, but most of them end up joining the fight. Fitzhenry trains and makes the new recruits official soldiers. Jake and the gang hold off the first wave, but Visser Three shows up with a bunch of Texans. The Confederates attack again. Visser Three is about to kill Jake when the dam breaks and washes everything away. Fitzhenry and his troops are overpowered. The hork clean up and prepare to move before Visser 1 returns. Jake goes home. So, I, I, to be honest, like, if this book was 44, I would have thought it was really good. It wouldn't have been 44, but okay. Well, you know what I mean, though. Like, if it had come before 45, I would have thought it a lot better. But the fact is, I want to keep moving in the direction that 46 left us. 45 and 46 were headed. And this didn't do that. No, I don't know why they didn't try to make Jake's storyline all one part of this. I mean, I get that they're trying to 
rely on these parallels of young soldiers and leading before. And, you know, I'm honestly surprised that the Civil War dude's brother wasn't on the other side just to like really hone it in. But again, it's this, we've made it 47 books. We didn't need that. Yeah. And I think as like, as Civil War narratives go and look, I am generally going to be the last person interested in the Civil War. Um, not because it's not important, it is, but because I am from a part of the country geographically that has missed the point on why it's important, and hey, maybe you shouldn't be proud if you are on the side that lost that war. It's a pretty bland, boring, predictable version of a Civil War story. And I think even the ways they could have made it interesting, Meg, you're right, like, they don't. I expected there to be, like, the brother versus brother thing, and... We get early in this, literally, Tom is, like, running around, harried, his his yerk is stressed out, planning something. Like, I expected Jake and Tom to have a throwdown in the Hidden Valley Ranch. Yeah, like, this, I really thought, like, the whole 90s trope of, like, the flashback where everybody plays a character in a different time yeah, was going to happen. And, yeah, <laughs> definitely the whole brother versus brother thing. But really, all this book did was take a lot of major points that have happened in the last two books and really, really wipe them away. I mean, this book literally opens with it. And granted, I really love the fact that like (laughs) that image of, um, I'm not even going to school anymore at this point. Like I'm trying to fucking save the world. And my mother's asking me to do chores and like that breaking point. I really like, however, there's 20 bucks in it for you, Jake. However, Two books ago, weeks ago, Marco and his father were murdered by an intruder. Uh-huh. Is it really, really the time to, like, be super chill with your son and, like, clean out the basement so you have a place to hang with your friends, even though your best friend from, like, birth, I think, is dead? Yeah. Also probably implying that he they're friends with Marco's. I don't know. There's something so distasteful about the beginning of this that I was just like... Oh, I'm not going to enjoy this. (laughs) No, and it's, I think, surprising given that isn't this typically our favorite of the Ghost Riders? Yes. Yes, it was very disappointing. Yes. I think for me, adding to why, like, at the outset, this one sort of stumbles, we had from 45 into 46 kind of a cliffhanger continuation and then a very abrupt ending at 46 with, frankly, a big mess that was still sort of left unresolved. Yeah, and the resolution is, let's be silent and just kind of agree to never talk about this again. And, um, like, cool, glad you made this decision for me. But also, like, man, that kind of sucks. And we're not even going to address the fact that the rest of the group also jumped in on this. I'm so angry at this book. I'm sorry. No, it's it's valid. Like, we... Not only do we just have Jake and Axe being like, yeah, we're just not going to talk about it because part of me is glad Axe did this. And, like, I value his friendship and that he doesn't question me still. But, like, how did everyone else get off the boat? How did they get back to land? What happened to the surviving soldiers? Did any soldiers survive? Like, there are a lot of questions about just the fallout of that that I think Tim was right. As much shit as we gave him in predictions last time seem like pretty major details that this book would need to check in on. Yeah. I When I read this book, 
it started. I didn't have the same issues with y'all. I guess I just wasn't thinking that way. But when it started with the Civil War narrative, I thought that was what the whole book was going to be. And I was immediately like, I don't even want to read it. I don't want to read this at all. So I was happy it at least jumped back and forth. But yeah, it was not not where I wanted to be. No, I, I think that... I don't know, something also about comparing slaves to Horde-Bajir, just like there was something about that. I was like, mm, I'm yes, not ready for that yeah, comparison. Yeah. Well, uh, which, okay, like different political time. It's, you know, completely different. It's, it's you know, Yeah, like I think there's a very, very surface. We're telling two stories about people who value fighting for their own freedom. That is fine. But I think the moment you try to read anything past that and try to read aliens as yeah. metaphor for enslaved people. I mean, the hork were enslaved people. That's I'm not I don't have a problem with the enslaved and the enslaved. It is the fact that hork canonically aren't the brightest bunch. Well, and they're 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 monstrous. They are aliens. Yeah, they they are, are. yeah. My point being is that like. I, it isn't the enslaved and it's not that sure they look monstrous to us that's that's the thing but it's there i don't know it's the intelligent level and knowing that like they kind of understand what they're fighting for but maybe don't understand the repercussions as where people in the civil war black people in the civil war truly understood those repercussions like it's not it's not a great comparison in my mind they're going to follow Toby, and that's great. I respect that loyalty. I don't you know. know, looking at the the bigger picture, you're right about everything. But looking at it just Jacob for Toby, that's not so bad. Because, you know, they're, they're, no, they're pretty I, yeah. sharp and, you know, they're good representations. I really was expecting Jacob to be like Jake's namesake. I did too. I thought that the whole time. <laughs> I was waiting for that. I just, spoilers, I guess. I just cannot... The whole Civil War conceit didn't work for me, but the way this book ends is with Jake reading the end of the journal <laughs> as, what was his name? Was it Isaiah? Yeah, was dying. As Isaiah is in the battlefield dying, you expect me to believe <laughs> that he pulled out of his pocket the journal and a pencil or something and started writing in it, and finished, and it was legible, and someone then picked it up off the field and sent it home with his body. I mean, they didn't have to pick it up off the field if it was still on his body when they picked up the body. Well, he would have dropped it if he was writing in it literally as he took his final breath. Dropped it on his chest. Okay. The other issue I had with it was, how did the two narratives fit? Because Jake picks it up, reads like one sentence, puts it down, and then comes back and reads the end of it. And I was like, did he read this? Did he not read this? I, I don't understand. It entirely fits with a narrative of what was being done in the 90s. I mean, I can think of a Boy Meets World. I can think of a Sabrina episode. I can think of a Family Matters episode. There, sister, sister, there are all these episodes where, like, you found this journal of someone from your past and, or, or yeah. in your family. And then your cat you're, ate the time ball. You're suddenly you're. <laughs> Uh, re or living out this this diary, and so like, I guess because of that, this narrative fits. But you're correct. Like, when the fuck? Like, he read yeah. one page, two pages max. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is the Tremors four of the Animorph series, by the way. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, 
Sorry, I forgot I have to put it in Tim terms. Yeah. <laughs> so does that mean Wilford Brimley is Chapman in this one? Wilford Brimley is not in Tremors, is he? It's uh, Michael Gross. Oh, I'm thinking of Cocoon. Oh. Uh, okay. Although I would take Wilford Brimley as Chapman. What I about w- Michael Gross? I would take Michael Gross as Chapman. I have okay. probably more love for Michael Gross than I should because of the Tremors series. Take one of each. Yeah. One can be Chapman, one can be Visor 3. There you go. I'm sorry, Visor 1. There there was a discussion this week in the Animorphs Facebook group about which filler book is the worst. And my mind instantly went to 25 based on yeah. you know everything that we've done. And someone replied and went, you know, because I, I even put, I was like, yeah, we basically just rewrote the book on an episode and that's like how we handled it. And people were like, oh, it's not the worst. It's, and I was like, that's cool. That's your opinion. In my opinion, it's the worst. And someone replied and was like, you know what would have been a better 25 if they explained how the fuck they got out of Antarctica. And you know what? You're not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And that's exactly what like 46 should have been. We are so close to the end that I'm just like everything should either. Right. There should be no time periods between this. I shouldn't be sitting there going, how many days ago did 46 happen? It should be like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can't get me all excited for the end and then just take me out of it like this. (laughs) I thought that there was not going to be anything in this book dumber than the very lazy Civil War narrative that took up half the book. Really, really, it feels like just to fill out a page count. I think that's what it was. I think that they were like, we have this concept. And I like the idea of like, the Hork-Bajir are... One of them has been caught, which is like, am I crazy? That's happened before, right? I think so. I feel like there's at least one other book where they're like someone, I, I definitely, it's in the 30s. It'll hit me in a minute. But I, and I really respect the fact that the hork want to fight for their freedom because yeah. they maybe don't understand the per- repercussions entirely, but they don't want to yerk in their head again. And that's valid. I will say, I do have a counter argument on that, but we can put a pin on it and come back. But... This book could have been entirely Jake dealing with Toby, two leaders mm-hmm. fighting, dealing with the fact that there is a major discussion that needs to be had on whether or not it's time to take this public. Oh, we haven't even talked about the campers. I'll get to that in a second. Well, that's that's where I was going. I was saying that like I thought the Civil War thing would be the dumbest part. The campers are. Yes. Also dealing with the fact that like in some ways he was betrayed in the last book yeah and or the fact that he's having a harder time getting out of the house because his best friend was murdered in the same neighborhood that he lives in and his parents are freaking out about something like that i mean come on that entirely of a book he and tom like playing this cat and mouse trying to escape because their parents are both like shut it down there's a murderer in the neighborhood yeah like, when the branch crashed through the window and then Tom showed up and was sketchy, like, I thought we were going to get some sort of they're locked in the house together in a storm and Tom knows story for a moment. Honestly, How? would have been better. Enemy Mine. No, that would have been... Actually, I kind of want that book now. Yeah, there's just... There's so many other ways this could have gone. And uh, especially as I think we only have one more Jake book after this. It kind of sucks. I think you're right. That being said, I think this is the last of the filler books, really. Oh, I I hope so. so. Because the thing is, this shouldn't even be filler. Like, the attack on the Hork-Bajir colony 
is a big deal mm-hmm. and it kind of gets relegated to to almost afterthought territory yeah it 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 really shows visser one leaning into the stuff he was talking about we're not gonna you know sit back on anything we're gonna go in guns blazing everywhere and i think Meg is right that, like, it's good to see the Hork-Bashir fight and want to fight and stand up for themselves. But there's a line Toby has at the end that then just sort of throws all that out the window that's like, yeah, I know we're going to have to leave, but now we can say we've fought. It's like, how many of you are dead with the outcome being the same just for the ability to say you stood here and fought? Like, yeah, at the end of the day, this is not an Animorphs win. No. Not at all. Like, now we can say this is ours because we thought, like, no, that's that's not how it's supposed to work. Let's talk about the campers. <laughs> I, there's an episode of The West Wing that drew a lot of criticism for doing, I think, the same thing this book does. Which is to equate being a fan of a thing with somehow being out of touch with reality. And as much as this series, like, nods and winks and then overtly draws on Star Trek and Star Wars and, like, well-established sci-fi ideas, it feels almost like an insult to the people reading it to paint Trekkies as... These just out of touch weirdos who are like, oh, are you with the Federation? Yeah. Oh, you must be aliens. Oh, oh, we know exactly how this works because we've seen every episode. Yeah. What the hell? I get what they were going for. Yeah. Just so many problems with the way Jake handles it and the way they are and everything top to bottom. But yes. Yes. I mean, I'm going to specify by the saying, I don't fucking understand. I can't explain why Jake handles it this way other than like Jake's at a breaking point. But Jake's been at a breaking point for four books. Yeah. Four of his own books, so we're talking, like, the last ten. Because um, the other option is literally you walk away and come back as a tiger, no, and they're gonna leave. Exactly. Right? Or, like, that was what I thought was going to happen. I thought that you was how they were going Rachel to play in? You send Rachel in, thus then they're not like, the why right. fuck is there a tiger in the middle of the woods? They all exit, pursued by a bear. Exactly. Yeah, uh, Rachel comes up and just starts knocking down trash bags because they said they hung it to keep the grizzly bears out. And I'd be like, ha, didn't work. Guess what? We have to go now. That was exactly how I saw it playing out. Like, nobody Send gets hurt. The skunk. They skunk. Yep. Yep. Logically speaking, that is how it should have gone. <laughs> I get from the standpoint that, like, they're in a big debate whether or not they should go public or whatever. Um, and maybe that is why he makes this decision. It's a stupid decision, mm-hmm. but I can understand the campers. If a kid walks up to you and suddenly turns into an animal, my first thought's also going to be alien. And yeah, I'm probably going to rely on whatever alien knowledge I have and be really, really excited. Your first thought would be alien. No, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go I'm with alien because I don't, I don't. Actually, disagree I guess with probably that. for me, it would have been like someone's fucking like summoned a demon. Sure, no. But- uh- Mine would be runaway. I would not act- actively contemplate what this thing came from. Is Okay, the first rational thought. How about <laughs> yeah, that? Okay, okay, all right, fair, fair. My issue is not that the campers believe them. My issue is that they apparently thought Star Trek was a documentary. Yeah, no, I, I did the same thing. Like I don't know, I guess, like, Trekkies are that insane. Michael Grant and Kay Applegate are Trekkies, so, like, maybe this is them poking fun at themselves maybe but it it did it it like 
if you're going to go public, don't find the biggest morons around. Like, morons that are so moron they can't exist. Like, there's no way these people can feed themselves. I don't know. I mean, okay. Very much right here, we just exhibited fight or flight. I would probably fight, you would fly. Yes. But maybe it is a coping mechanism of some point to just fall onto that and be like, all right, well, apparently I have stumbled into a Star Trek episode. This is fine. (laughs) This is fine. (laughs) I'm probably going to say those words at some point in my life. But no, I, yeah, none of it, none of it tracks. Even if we take the campers back out of it, their actions. No. It's the most unreasonable course of action and it's the one that they pick and of course tobias is like yeah whatever go ahead and i'm like yeah. no tobias you're smart like what are you doing tobias it, is trash in this book yes it does set up maybe my favorite moment though which is when jake tells everyone else and rachel's like why the fuck would you do this and jake's defense is literally yesterday you said desperate times call for desperate measures and rachel's like okay thanks for listening <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, Rachel just wants to be heard, I guess. This is what it looks like when people take your advice, Rachel, I guess. <laughs> like, I could actually see that moment in my head. Like, Rachel, like, being angry and just, like, stopping, shrug. Yeah, okay, fine. That's valid. <laughs> Tobias is trash in this book. So welcome to my TED Talk on why Tobias is trash in this book. And there are three major points here. And they range from very serious to very silly. Which one do Hold you on. want for let me set up the PowerPoint. I want to start with the serious and end on the silly so that we're not ending in a place of anger. Good. Okay. Good. Tobias is like the closest to the Horpazir colony. He's, that's Mm -hmm. where he goes when he needs to be with people. That's, I mean, he's the one who found them and helped them get there. He's the one who helped them find this place. He's kind of the go-between between the Animorphs and the hork colony. Why the fuck isn't he advocating for them? Why isn't he mediating this? Why isn't he having a bigger voice in this whole conversation of the hork or trying to make sense or, like, put Toby's words and Jake's words? I don't know. Just trying to do something to mediate. Yeah, like, I, I agree with you there. He's also, like usually one of the better sort of maybe not in the same way as marco with the sort of gut seeing the path thing but in a very like tactics way tobias is usually on top of strategy and i don't i feel like there's a role for him that should have been intermediary strategist something like this that's way more active than jake's yes man Yeah, like, usually in the books, you got Marco, who is going to be the person who sees A to B without the best A to B, even if it causes damage, it's going to be the minimal damage. You got Jake, who's supposed to listen to everybody. You've got Rachel, who is the tank. You've got Cassie, who's the moral compass. And you've got Tobias, who is kind of the voice of reason throughout all of this. And he More than once, we've seen him challenge Jake on decisions and he never does that here to the point that we've kind of considered him a second in command in a weird way yeah even though rachel is technically second in command um i just looked over at the jury meg and all 12 heads are nodding in agreement with what you're saying so far appreciate it thank you Mm -hmm. 
And this leads to basically just the fact that he doesn't challenge Jake at all. This There is a lot of Jake Tobias in this book, and it is so bland. It is a partnership we don't get to see often. And It's like Tobias from book one. It's not even that. Because, <laughs> like, at least then it's like you can't bring back Tobias from book one. He's not following Jake's orders because Jake's the cool guy and he doesn't know better. He's just... No, what I mean is this is a... This Tobias doesn't feel like he has any of the experience yeah, that no. makes him Tobias. Yeah, no that's depth. Valid. Yeah. yeah. And did she write the Tobias books that we love? Uh, wasn't she the one that wrote the torture book? That's what I thought. I think so. Yeah, I think she was. So, like, the person who should be able to bridge... Maybe she doesn't understand Jake enough. Maybe that's the issue. Yeah. But, and honestly, in some ways, like, if you're not going to make this about leader versus leader, or... Um, some kind of power struggle in that standpoint, this should have been a Tobias book. So just as a reminder, she wrote The Familiar. Give me numbers. Which is, uh, that's 41. That's the one where Jake hallucinates a future, dreams a future, is transported to a future. Who really knows? Uh, she wrote The Illusion, which is 33. That's the torture book. Which is the torture book. Yeah. Um, she wrote, she wrote the revelation, which was forty-five. That was the Marco reveal. Okay. And she wrote the test, which was forty-three, which was the last Tobias book. So she has written two of the best Jake and Tobias books. I'm sorry, two of the best Tobias books, a decent Jake book, and one of the best Marco books. There we go. But she and and it, it I guess it's not the weakest Jake book. Maybe it is. No. 31 was the weakest, I think. Jake trying to find this, like, standhold in his family is, it, it, it doesn't work. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I guess that just proves the point that, like, she knows Tobias's head better than anybody else because she fucking tortured it. And so, like, yeah, there is none of that PTSD in this. Yeah. Also, it's a real bummer. This is her last book. It is her last book. I'm so upset about this. So, like, we're going out on an unfortunately negative note for one of our favorite writers on the series. My third prong. Hold on before. Let me check the jury. Oh, the jury is nodding heavily now. Good, good, good. Here's my selling point. <clears throat> on what planet does Tobias... Oh, I just forgot, like, the, the last name that Elfinger has in Andalite Chronicles when he's human. Fangor. Oh, Tobias Fangor. On what planet does Tobias Fangor, who is such a geek, who is so nerdy that he is getting his head shoved into a toilet every single day before he turns into a fucking hawk, not know the difference between Star Trek and Star Wars? I've I don't watch. He was a history nerd. I don't watch not- Star Trek, and I still <laughs> was like, okay, cool, we're referencing Star Trek, and yet, and yet, he goes, someone's been watching a lot of Star Wars. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> My answer is he's not the kind of cool sci-fi nerd. He's just a military history nerd. But we've proven that he's not really that. That's Jake. The four person of the jury just started slow clapping. (laughs) (laughs) Only four of the 12? The the, 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 four person. The the one in charge. The person in charge. Gotcha. (sighs) Now, can you just slip into your closing statement here? Now, I'm just a simple country lawyer. (laughs) 
I did um, more Knives Out recordings yesterday, I, and I did at one point slip into the Benoit Blanc. Uh, yes. But I am not going to do that here. Um, uh, yeah, I just... I understand that there are limitations that you can put on a middle grade book, and you can't get super philosophical. I am so angry. I'm making up words. (laughs) (laughs) Philosophical is like jellical, but for philosophers. Jesus Christ. I understand that, like, you can't make a book but we did book three is all internal i don't know i can't make an argument here (laughs) this book is every every cassie book for the last 40 books has been internal that's also true (laughs) (laughs) just about every book since the 20s has been internal it's been longer than that um i just yeah i guess like you don't want to put something that is more internal and analyzing when you have started that last arc of all action and i understand that you want to keep that action going i don't think any of us would have hated it as a kid to be like a power struggle kind of book take that one from the one we'd had for rachel that also makes me super angry and put something here it doesn't have to be rachel fighting for it but like toby is a brilliant hork like there are more than just humans at play here. Like, I don't know. I, I'm just, well, like, I think I think what you're saying is true, especially when part of what works against this book is that it's ignoring a conflict from the last one that would be sort of easy fuel. And I know we've talked about it before. These are written overlapping with each other. It's very possible that Ellen Jarreau never saw a finished draft of The Deception while working on this. But this idea that Jake would have been on the carrier, giving orders, that Axe would have knocked him out, done something that, again, Jake doesn't wholly blame Axe for and kind of appreciates, but creating this divide in the Animorphs, then having him also have to deal with Toby wanting to fight and sort of on both fronts having to manage what is my role as a leader? Am I equipped to go from this subtle thing to more full-blown war? Should Rachel be the one doing that? Like, I think there is something really interesting there. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I don't think there necessarily needs to be a divide in the Animorphs, but a divide in Jake. Right, I think think that's a better way of putting it, for sure. Like, Jake is... Jake is divided in how, or if at least Jake perceives a divide where maybe there's not one, maybe that would be. I don't know how to like say this. I don't think this is necessarily a spoiler because we're in the last arc. He is a 13, 14, 15 year old child at this point, 16, maybe. I don't know. Uh-huh. He's young, teenager. And assuming that these books end and that the war is over at the end of them, which I think is a safe assumption, like. Either Earth is completely annihilated or somehow there's some saving grace and something wins. He's going to have to make a difficult decision. Like, that's just a trope. Is that there's yeah. going to be that, like, breaking point where someone's going to hate him for the decision that he made. It feels like that's what we've been building up from every Jake book. So I feel like that's a safe assumption as a guy no. who hasn't read it. <laughs> 
On that note, though, I want to pause for a moment and take Tim's pulse. Tim. Yes. Meg just said, Meg just basically opened the floor to the question, do you think at the end of the series we get a clean resolution that someone wins, that someone loses? Do you think it goes on? Who do you think wins if you think someone wins? Um, what is your sense your right now? Thank you, yes. yes. I still think that the humans win. Human slash Andalite team. I think the Yerks are defeated in one way or another. And I do feel like we'll get some kind of clean ending to this. Like, those seem like still... I mean, it's still... I can't get past the, the, the it's a children's book series, even though we've seen all these things that don't fit a children's book narrative. I feel like the over, <laughs> overarching story needs to go that route. And that's where I sit now. That's fair. Although, with every book that we read, it becomes more and more obvious that it is apparent that things could go south. <laughs> yeah, I. it is such a weird line of, like, wanting to believe because this is a middle grade book series that, like, all of our characters are safe. And, like, yeah. that... And but, like, when I say clean ending, we could just say that the Yerk threat to the humans is eliminated. Maybe not the Yerk threat to the universe. But does that make it clean? Way. Um, and from a, from a human, you know, kid reading it, probably. Because we know in 300 years, the Yerks build their own Yerk synthetic bodies. Yeah. And become Krang from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yep. So I don't, that, that's, yeah, that's where I live. The, the Yerk threat is eliminated on Earth. Let's put it that way. That's valid. Do you think everyone survives to the end still? It has yeah. been a while since we've asked you that. Yes. You sound a little bit more hesitant. Uh, well, like I said, it, it, the book is definitely darker than I could have imagined. Or the books, the book series is definitely darker than I could have imagined it. Like, when I first started talking about it, it was out of the realm of possibility. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, but I still don't see it happening. Like, Who if it's anybody... Who would break your heart the most to die? So, <laughs> like, I guess we would go in order of characters that I like. No, I guess just, like, what would devastate you? Like, I guess, in some ways, if you're, like, if... If Marco died, it would it would hurt me because he fought so much to see his family again. Sure. I guess the better question is, is there someone who can die that is not going to have an impact on you? Well, not at this point, but there definitely is sort of an order to it. What if Chapman died? I mean, that would hurt me probably than any, probably more than any other human on this planet. <laughs> but no, that wouldn't, that wouldn't break me. But like, if Jake died, I would be sad. If Cassie died, I would be sad. And if Tobias died, I would be sad. If Marco died, I'd probably throw the book. If Rachel died, I think I'd be, like, super upset. But, like, if I had to pick one, it would probably be... If they're going to kill anybody, they're going to kill Axe. So you think Axe will be the one to get the Axe? If he, if, if they're going to kill anyone, it'll be Axe, because so I don't think, think they'll they're kill afraid the humans. Uh, to, or they're, they're not going to be capable of killing a human. They're going to kill the alien standing. And that's, like, not even talking about, like, anything that happens in the story. That's, like, a scholastic thing. No, that's I valid. Would think. Yeah, yeah. Uh. Scholastic is an interesting entity behind all of this, the elements behind all of this, because I know that both <laughs> Applegate or all of Applegate, Grant and Grind have talked about in various formats, giving something to Scholastic being and expecting them to come back and yeah. be like, no, that's too far. Yeah. And never getting that. I do. I, I feel like if Marco dies, uh, I I probably won't speak to y'all ever again. Um, Marco dies. Well, Tim rage quits. I know. If 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 Rachel dies, y'all will get 
you will get stern words from me. Stern, <laughs> stern words. Um, but can no, you take a which, uh, which characters wait. can die and we still stay on your Christmas card list? I don't know. Axe. <laughs> Axe okay. is the only one. There was something else I wanted to talk about. Oh, oh, Vizzer 1. Yes. Um, he repeats a morph. Yeah. And it yeah. is the morph. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, it's so symbolic of, I mean, I think in part, if I didn't know that there were 54 books, um, and I, I didn't read this book as a kid, like by this point I had stopped. So I never read this not knowing that there was another one coming. Yeah. And I wonder, knowing that that morph got, got pulled out, if I would have been like, mm, I don't know if I can do this. I probably also never read this one not knowing there was another one coming. Because I checked the Animorphs website religiously Same. for like new titles and covers, and they were always like two ahead. That's true. That's true. Man, I just got like this sensory memory of sitting in my grandmother's house on her computer checking the Animorphs website. Oh, right. Just like overwhelmed with the smell and like noises and stuff. That was a good memory. Thank you. What are you? You're welcome. What are you saying when you mean not knowing there was another one coming? Another book? Yeah. Like okay. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Not okay. knowing that. Yeah, it's going to continue. Yeah, okay. I or something. You. Or I guess, because I guess, yeah, as it, like you've been saying, like there never would have been a point where I would have been like, you're killing one of your main characters. Me in 2020, who deals with that on occasional basis, <laughs> fucking read the first three books of Game of Thrones. Um, it's a little <laughs> bit more normal. Yeah, but it's still yeah. not a scholastic book. Well, see, and I feel yeah. like as a kid, I probably would have thought, one, these books are never going to end. They're going to go forever. And two, <laughs> because of that, no one will ever die. That, yeah. Yes, exactly that. But I mean, or like if they die, they'll die like they did that one book where whoever died, Tobias died or whatever, but he oh, didn't. Came back. They just yeah, they just thought. No, he was Jake dead. died. Is that who it was? Yeah, it was Jake. I don't remember, but I remember Ma- it being Megamorph like a four, a bit where they all thought he was dead, and you were supposed to think he was dead, yeah. and I was like, nah, whatever, I'm not buying it. Yeah, but I. I it, I don't know. I guess it's kind of like a victorious moment. Like, he is officially Visor 1. Nobody even stutters and calls him Visor 3 again. Like, I find that kind of weird because I definitely... I mean, you've called him Visor 3 once in this episode, Alex. <laughs> and so, I don't know. I am like, that's so symbolic and I think it's really cool. It's about the only cool thing of this book. For me. There is There is one other thing that I think is cool. And it's just a line, we don't really get to see a lot of it directly, and that's a regret for me. Like, I think this is something we could have spent time with. But Jake has the line that it's like Marco's parents were made to survive in this situation, and that they seem younger and happier than he ever remembers them. And like That is such a difficult relationship to talk about. One, like... I think that just is an absolutely wild thing to say about people. But two, like, that is such a specifically weird thing to process about Marco's mom. Uh, You know what, though? Like, it doesn't answer the question that would be immediately, like, the the follow-up question is, is what exactly is their relationship now? Are they just friends? Are they not are they back to being like a married couple? I would like, assume they're on some kind of hybrid of dating married. Like he thinks that Nora double crossed him. He is not. That's true. He does think that because yeah. Marco lied. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, but I, also I like more to the point, he's literally the only. She's literally the only human other than his son who knows he's alive. That's true, and yeah. vice versa. I mean, I like to believe, even if it isn't romantic. Like, I don't know. I I hung out with my my parents recently, um, who got divorced a, a couple about six months before I moved. Who I haven't really seen interact since, and um, chilled with them, and it, they like are the chillest people it's like the weirdest i'm like you guys are divorced still right and like um seeing that interaction like just they have found the friendship that works for both of them like i'm really you know i hope that's what marco's parents have even if it isn't romantic yeah but i think the implication i don't know it would it would be interesting to see how they interact when like say other people aren't around to me yeah i would read that story where is where is Visser two not Visser anymore and living in the woods with my husband ex husband I don't know <laughs> and a bunch of the people who my host used to also enslave. See, that's the thing. That is another part of this that can be added on <laughs> is that like the struggle Jake's struggling to deal with Toby for leadership, dealing with the fact that his decisions are challenged, and. Yeah, like, it's got to be pretty fucking traumatic to see the face of someone who was, like, the head of the Yurk Empire in some ways. Right. Yeah. Especially for a group that we, we've already talked about aren't that intellectually advanced. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that have to cause some conflict, right? Also, speaking of Toby, has she been clairvoyant before now? Yes. Um, yeah, she's had some weird moments. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't know if they've done it specifically in, in the book, but they've made reference to the fact that she has has sort of an idea of what's coming. Yeah. Like, it's like I think s- I may have read it in the past as she has, like, a good ability to predict. Yeah. Like, a strong gut. This book straight up makes it sound like she sees the future. I don't know. There, there's sort of a fine line between those two things. Yeah, I'm, in how you would state it. Do you got right? a page? And I agree with you. Or like a sentence or something. I want to read it. Oh, I turned straight to it. Holy shit! Okay, give me a line. It's at the bottom of eighty-seven. It's actually going to be like a couple paragraphs. We approached the outskirts of the colony. A dozen Horkbashir, eerily visible in the flickering torchwood. I'm sorry, torchlight, stood in two rows on either side of the path. Toby stood in the middle. Welcome, she said. We're honored by your presence. We thank you for your help. The campers didn't speak. They just walked on through the canopy of branches and the towering, bladed extraterrestrials. How did you know we were coming? I asked Toby. The trees whispered something about new friends who would take up our cause. Human friends who would join our fight, she said. I see things, Jake. Many things. I don't think that's clairvoyant. I think that is a relationship with trees that we as humans just don't understand. I mean, if we want to make the argument that Toby is the Lorax, I will not fight. <laughs> okay, good. I, I, I was going to go more Swamp Thing. Yes. I th- Which debuted tonight on the CW. Oh, oh did it? I'm going to have to okay. watch yeah. it tomorrow. Yes, I, I, I need to watch it as well. Uh, we need to have a long conversation about it, Alex. Okay. Which I'm not going to do right now. Thank which you. y'all should be proud of me because I was ready to dive right into that one. Um, Such restraint. Yeah. <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. The hork were created by another race. You are correct. Yes, that is correct. So understanding trees might be part of that. I don't know. Like, it sounds really weird to my brain and really out there, but like they're fucking aliens. Like, 
<laughs> I, do I need to I cut just back feel on my like, No. Okay. I just Tim's feel quiet. like it's Hang new on. information. Uh, it's because I'm reading the Elemis speak. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Wait, what Elemis speak? On page 100. So you think that's the Elemis? That is the Elemis. Okay. I, I'm, I'm like, like line in the sand, flag in the ground. That is the Elemis. Read it out, Tim. I, I don't mean to cut off where we were before if I did. No, that's fine. You already have, so go ahead. <laughs> I mean, we can continue talking about if I swear too much or not. It's fine. The countdown has begun. It will all be over very, very soon. So you don't think they're just like all in a simulation? This is all like Hunger Games? <laughs> no. <laughs> this Wait, is all is Jack Hunger trying Games? to trying Hunger to Games is a simulation? Hunger Games is a game that takes place in like a giant dome. Oh, I see. I see the relationship now. No, so, yeah. most people hear simulation and think the Matrix. Yeah, that's exactly where I went with it. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> no, that's like, you I, I was going to say, I, I only saw two of those films. <laughs> that is You Don't Know Jack. Jesus. That game got terrifying last week. Yep. I've not seen the last two Hunger Games films, so I would have believed yeah, it was absolutely. all a simulation absolutely. all along. <laughs> You could have really had us going, Meg. <laughs> there are some things that are sacred to me, and Hunger Games is on that list. So You know what? Fair enough. You could probably still use the Hunger Games analogy with the Cryak and the Elemist. I feel like that's a conversation better saved for after we've read the Elemist. Yeah, probably. Chronicles. Probably. Which, but, I mean, like, yes. that, it lines up. Maybe maybe we will get the answers to what the fuck is going on here. Yeah. That, uh, is, the, that is definitely Elemist, though. That's the second time we've gotten that, right? Yes. Third. Third time. Uh, yeah. Oh, was there one really, really early on? There was one at the very end of 25. There was one in the middle of 26. What? I'm sorry. Oh. No. There was one at the very end of 45. Okay. Yes. I know what book number we're on. <laughs> 45 I remember. 46 I don't. There was one somewhere in 46 that we didn't actually talk about. Because it was, it was just thrown in in kind of a weird spot. Like this one. And then... This one now has one sort of thrown in just at a certain spot in the narrative. I wonder if this happened when this like they like the Krayak first appeared though. No, I mean we, we I would don't remember. think we have seen this style oh, okay. this yeah. way before. No. So Tim says Elemist bullshit. <laughs> yes. Meg says she curses too much. I disagree. <laughs> Tim still is not weighing in on this and it is bothering my anxiety. What weighing in on what? Whether or not I Tim curse thinks too you much. don't curse enough. Oh, oh on the cur oh. Uh, no. Okay. Yeah, no. Do you think Meg curses enough? <laughs> Should she curse more? I just, no. like, do we, I'm very aware Do we need of, a focus group? I'm very aware of every time I said fuck on this episode, because it's been a lot. And I'm just so mad in the book. Now, here is one thing I will say is a little strange about it. We mentioned Britney Spears when talking about the Beaver Den. We did? Yes. Yes. Marco mentions the Britney oh, Spears. I thought you meant we on. did, and I was like, I don't the, remember. The, the lodge. I think it was the yes. lodge. Yeah. They talk about the Horkbashir crafting spears, but then there's also a character in the Civil War section named Spears, <laughs> and it kind of feels like someone told Ellen Jarreau, "I will give you five dollars every time you work <laughs> the word Spears into this book." There is. Oh, there is a. Oh. It is an actress. I am totally... I can see her. Judy Grant. Judy... No. Judy Greer? No. Yes, Judy Greer. Um, who, especially during press junkets, makes a game and comes up with a word that is so off the wall and tries to work <laughs> it into the interview every time. Amazing. Yes. 
Also, she's one of my favorites on Archer. Also, yes. 100% could play Rachel's mom in this, and that would be great. Yes. All right, which Archer character no. would be each Animorph's parent? <laughs> We've got Judy Greer. That implies that I've watched enough Archer sober to remember the show. Krieger would be Chapman, right? Krieger. I think Krieger is, uh, oh, what's the Krayak's lackey? Drone. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, the drone. The drone. <laughs> yeah. Krieger is the drone. Yeah, that makes sense. I think Barry is the Krayak. Yeah. Archer has to be Marco's dad. There's yes. no way Marco's not related to Archer. <laughs> and I think I think Lana is Visser 1. I think Lana is Marco's mom. Oh, I could definitely see that. Yeah. The wheels maybe fall off a little bit at uh, Pam, but Cyril has to be Jake's dad. Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe Woodhouse could be Chapman. Mm, maybe. <laughs> maybe. This is an old story. Girl meets ghost. It's a beaut, isn't it? They don't make them like that anymore. It's gorgeous. Sort of calls to you, doesn't it? does. It's almost like it's singing, even though it isn't making a sound. Ghost haunts girl. Now, tell the good lady doctor what's wrong. And don't give me any of that virus crap. Nobody gets that pale because of a computer problem. Or, if they do, there's usually more swearing. It's nothing, really. I'm just stressed. Come on. You can lie to the doc, but you can't lie to the free bourbon lady. <laughs> okay. Fine. If I didn't know better, I'd say I'm being haunted. Something's happening to me. It might all be in my head, it might not, but if... <laughs> If for some reason we don't get the chance to talk again, I need you to know that I fought it. Okay? I fought it. I am fighting it. But I don't think I'm going to win. Like most old stories, it is bloodthirsty. The Way We Hunt Now, Episode 1, coming October 10th, 2020. Find out more at www.hauntnowpod.com or on Twitter at hauntnowpod. Alright, Alex, if you're done with your archer talk, you can can drop that animal fact. Do I need to take off my headphones? I don't think so. Is this the happy There's... happy stuff that you gave told me earlier this week? I mean, it's 2020, so anything happy is still going to have a little bit of a bittersweet edge in, in ways. Okay. But I would call this broadly good news. Okay. Scientists, conservationists have reintroduced Tasmanian devils to Australia for the first time in 3,000 years. Oh, goodness. Nobody really knows why Tasmanian devils 
disappeared from the Australian mainland. The best guess is probably overhunting by indigenous peoples. But there are, and we, we actually talked about this in the last Cassie book, there are some mistakes that uh, colonists in Australia made, you know, above and beyond colonialism itself. And among those were the introduction, I can make up words too, Meg. <laughs> among those were the introduction of non-native species, which I also mentioned. Um, and while cloven-hoofed animals kind of take up the bulk of the narrative of that ecological destruction, one of the problems that has prompted scientists to reintroduce Tasmanian devils to Australia are feral cats and foxes that colonists also brought over and released into the wild. Small mammal species, small species in general, in Australia have disappeared and gone extinct above and beyond anywhere else in the world because of the introduction of these cats and foxes. And one of the things that they hope the reintroduction of the Tasmanian devil will do, and there's some evidence in Tasmania that this will be true, uh, is that as they begin to populate, and right now they are in a preserve, there are 25 they are in a preserve. They are being very carefully studied and monitored. But they will actually help control the population of those non-native predators. Uh, Tasmanian devils are one of the rare animals that serve both as predator and scavenger, uh, which means they coexist very well with other native species without threatening native species. So they really, in theory, will only curb the populations of feral foxes and feral cats. The other reason that scientists have done this is to, and see, this is kind of where, where it's hard to talk about this without a little bit of a bittersweet edge. The, the Tasmania native population of Tasmanian devils uh, has for the last several years been dying off due to a contagious facial cancer. So the population that scientists have brought over to Australia are free of that cancer. None of them carry it. So they are hopeful that, one, it will be a healthy population. But two, if they then at some point need to repopulate Tasmania, they'll have a viable devil population that they can do that job based on. So it's it's a very proactive bit of a very proactive bit of conservation uh and it aims to solve some problems that you know erupted in the last 100 110 years. Interesting. I yeah. had no idea. You said 3 how long 3000 years? Tasmanian devils they've lived in Tasmania, which is an island off of Australia. Mm -hmm. Oh, maybe that's but my confusion. But they've not lived on mainland Australia in about three thousand years. The other, the other possible reason beyond overhunting uh, that they could have disappeared is the introduction of the dingo. Um, the dingo is not native. Dingoes are not native. Dingoes arrived four to five thousand years ago. Um, I am skimming the article about the dingoes, which was just linked to as I read it. Probably along humans traveling via water. Um, I do know that dingoes are very closely related to 
older dog species like uh, Akitas, Huskies, and I think Siberians. Or Akita. Evita. 100% AKC certified Akita Japan puppies. <laughs> I forgot about that. Lord. My southern accent activation phrase. <laughs> forgot what mine is i don't remember i'm gonna have to go back and find it all right tim i'm not gonna lie i think the elements chronicles might be the easiest thing to give a general prediction about um we see where the cryak and the elemist came from how the animorphs tie into whatever this this battle that they're having is i think you are basically correct yeah now meg yes alex would you care to read in the opening passage? You know, I would. I think that because this is so easy to predict, that Tim might be getting concerned that it's boring. This is the prologue of the Elemis Chronicles. The human child called to me. The human child was dying, and nothing I could do within the rules of the game would change that fact. The human child, one of those called themselves Animorphs, Ask me to explain. In that final moment, the human wanted to know. Was it all worth it? The pain? The despair? The fear? The horror of violence suffered, and the corrupting horror of violence inflicted, was it all worth it? I said I could not answer that. I said that the battle was not yet done. Who are you? The child raged. Who are you to play games with me? You appear? You disappear? You play with us? You use us? Who are you? What are you? I deserve an answer. Yes, I said. You do. To this question, I will give you the answer I know. And when you know me, you will ask another question, and I will answer that question too. And then, chapter one. Yeah, I don't... Mm -mm. It's not gonna stick. Whatever it is. I mean, it's an Elemis book. So probably somebody's going to die, and then they'll be brought back at the end or something. So, Listeners at home, this is what they call denial. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Nobody's going to die in the Elemis Chronicles anyway. That That's not the point. The point is that this is the setup for the book. This is why yeah. the book exists. Yeah, I know. Jesus Christ. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. But I'm not. They've done this to me once before. When? When did they do this to you once before? When they said somebody was dead? We just talked about it. There was a contract there. Only one person could die. Everybody else came back to life. So Jake died. It was Rachel who died after that. Maybe that, maybe that chapter will have more meaning once I've read the whole book series. Let's ask a different question. Tim. Yes. Who do you think the Elemist is talking to? No, that's a question. Because it's obviously not Axe. I don't want it to be Marco, but maybe it's Marco. All right. Uh, anything we want to plug? Meg has been on Panelology recently. Basically, the last this month is mine. two episodes as this comes out. And again next week for our Spooptacular. Yeah. Um, the Way We Haunt Now comes out soon. The first episode might be out by the time this comes out. It will be. Hey, we have a contest going on right now. That's right. And the stakes have gotten higher since our last episode. Yeah, when we announced the contest, the giveaway online, um, which is going to go through the end of October, 
Uh, so by the time this comes out, you still got a couple weeks. Friend of the show, friend of the podcast. I don't know which one works there. Chris Grine reached out and offered a signed copy of the graphic novel uh, to go into our grand prize as well. So if you haven't checked it out, when this episode drops, I will repost all the links. Uh, please enter. Um, at the very least, you are helping out the postal service. Uh, also, Red has designed a, our postcard yes. and other that things. That is exactly why I stopped, because I was like, Red recently yes. did art for us. Oh, shit, we didn't talk about that. Yeah, the postcards are going to be designed by Red. Um, they are amazing. They are yes. um, Animorphs-themed and post office-themed. So um, I will probably post those after this episode drops just to kind of keep gauging interest. We'd like to thank Red Spinks for our show art. You can check out more of their work by supporting their Patreon or visiting Chaos Does Art on Instagram. If you're interested in getting some cool art, email red at c.spinks.animator at gmail.com or come to our Discord. Honestly, that's going to be the quicker way to find them. Peep our Sochmeads at Minds at York on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to send us questions, comments, or love letters, you can email us at mindsatyork at gmail.com. Our website is mindsatyork.com. Spell Yerk, Y-E-E-R-K. If you like us and want to help us out, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Although apparently we can't tell if you love us, so we're just going to assume you all love us at the moment. Uh, available, We are available on your podcatcher of choice. Let us know if you can't find us there. All right. Somebody stop me. When? Marco's parents were as different as the Hork-Bajir. All right. I'm Megan. My name was Alex. And I have been Tim. And until then, we fight. Not gonna fucking fight it. Weirdest fucking episode ever.